0: welcome to the open house podcast with james hatem this podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym everything from training methods technique massage and other odd topics that come up so be be sure to subscribe leave a review if i could talk today uh that all helps us out a lot all right so today we've got george and andrew um What's up, guys? Not much, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just been training, uh, getting ready for this other podcast, you know, get the weekly occurrence going, having fun. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it's been fun. I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed the consistency of these podcasts. Um, and, you know, now we're starting to get a few more uh, new people on. Um, so, Andrew, uh, Andrew uh, Stegelman, right? Stegelman. Stegelman, all right uh doctor of uh, physical therapy yep nice man so uh tell us a little bit about yourself what uh you uh, you run a gym you um uh, or you run a uh, a pt and kind of like a performance type uh, mixture and you're a weightlifter
2: yeah so i uh i got into weightlifting uh probably i think it's back in like 2015 or so so I started in CrossFit. Actually, you were one of the uh, kind of inspirations early on, James, kind of following you over at uh, Muscle Driver. Um, it was kind of cool to watch, mm-hmm. you know, guys like yourself throw, on, throw around some big weight. So that got me kind of interested in getting into weightlifting. Uh, I went to PT school uh, to become a clinician. And then coming out of PT school, I decided to start my own practice, uh, Segelman Performance. So, what I do at Segelman Performance is I have an online uh, coaching and programming platform where I work with barbell athletes, specifically weightlifters and crossfitters, and I help them get stronger, improve technique, and avoid injury.
0: Yeah, all uh, very useful things. Yeah, two thousand fifteen was kind of that like um, that peak in weightlifting. I think that's yeah. like when the United States was like really excited about weightlifting. All the CrossFitters were like, ah, oh, I think I like weightlifting more than CrossFit. And then it just had this huge boom. Um, and I think it started in like 2013. And it probably hit its peak at 15, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was a fun time in weightlifting.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you uh, train at Westside for a little bit? How was that?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, that was in 2017, right before I went to PT school. Um, that was like one of the defining moments I think in my career, uh, because Louie just turned like everything I knew on its head. Uh, his approach is so much different than anything I'd been taught up to that point. And I know he's, he's kind of a controversial figure in weightlifting. Um, some of the stuff he said has been kind of, uh, you know, inflammatory, but, uh, he's a super smart guy. Uh, and I think a lot of the basic principles, um, and stuff that I learned from him, can be applied to weightlifting, uh, very well. So it was, uh, he, he's been one of the big influences on my philosophies when it comes to, uh, not just weightlifting, but, um, you know, my clinical, um, approach as well.
0: You know, I think I went there in some, somewhere around there, maybe 2005. No, it was probably 2016. Um, and Louie had a guy there and he was young and he was trying to get into weightlifting and I forget his name. It was a, it was a young kid. He was 20 something. Um, maybe you would know his name. I don't know if he was still there when you went out there. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Cause he was, he had a young power lifter and he was trying to like make him the head of the of weightlifting to see if weightlifting would take off there. And mm-hmm. I guess it never really did. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I got to go visit there that one time and it was pretty fun to, uh, you know, hear his, uh, his perspective. Um, I'm sure we could get onto like a whole topic of, you know, Louie's perspective on weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Do you, do you have you snatch with bands? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. So we did power snatches with bands and, uh, then we took the bands off and we did regular power snatches and mm-hmm. uh, we we're kind of seeing where they went. And, uh, you know, it, it felt pretty good. I mean, it worked well for that exercise. I think I hit like, um, I think I hit within two kilos of my best power snatch, you know, on that wow. day, which, which was pretty good, you know. Yeah. It's not every day you hit um, high percentages, especially mm. as you, you know, kind of progress. So like the little uh, neurological tricks like that, I think are uh, pretty valuable. Um, he had us do some other things that didn't quite work out. But the, I think uh, I think people should probably give this the banded power snatches a little bit more, uh, more credit banded full snatches. eh, I don't think so, but the power snatches, I think there's, there's some value there for sure. Yeah, it changes.
2: um, So it's going to change the bar path slightly and it's going to change like, uh, you know, the biomechanical like profile of the lift a little bit, which is kind of, you know, that's, that's why I've heard some people say that they're ineffective, but like, you're never going to pull harder and after you take those bands off, right after you've worked up to like a heavy power clean or like power snatch, you take the bands off your pull and like turnover is so strong um, that I think it translates really well.
0: Yeah. That's the biggest thing that I recognize was the, uh, the urgency of the turnover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the other thing too, is he's not really giving you hard bands. Like the band yeah. tension is super light. Um, so it's uh you know, people see bands and they think just, you know, big green bands like the rest of the bands that they use at Westside, which is, you know, almost undoable. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I thought the band tension was super light. It was almost so light that it probably didn't change my bar path significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a, I used to have a pretty big sweep in. um, So theoretically it would change mine a little bit more, but the, uh, the, the turnover and bar drop was the biggest thing that was like, the big like, um, the big change from a traditional lift. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. So I don't know the urgency could be there. Um, and you know, what's interesting, you know, when I was there, he was, um, he was telling me about a PT that I knew that, that had did some work on him and, uh, and he offered to crack my back, um, which I did not take him up on. (laughs) um, (laughs) So it, uh, it, it was interesting to see, like, he hit a little bit of the PT stuff in there too, that he was kind of like hinting at, but mm-hmm. you know, his, his, uh, his perspective on the, the PT and then the, actually talked to the PT, um, at a separate time was kind of surprising and mm-hmm. the different mm-hmm. perspectives. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, an, an interesting experience, you know, a lot of valuable Excellent. information coming in there.
1: Mm-hmm. So when you were at Westside, were you training weightlifting or powerlifting at that time?
2: It was weightlifting. Um, so, actually, the reason I went to Westside um, was the gym I was coaching at in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. I was living in Ann Arbor. Um, uh, Casey and Natalie uh, Bergner were members at the gym. So, Mike would come in um, and like I'd train with him. And I was just trying to get as much feedback from him as possible in terms of like getting better at weightlifting. Um, and he's like, dude, you move super well. Like your technique is great and everything. He's like, you just need to get a lot stronger. And he's like, I know someone that can get you a lot stronger. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's go. So he got me in contact with Louis um, within like a week. And then I, I called up Louie. Uh, he's like, yeah, why don't you come out and train? So I basically took like a month off work and just moved up there to Columbus. Um, and just trained with him for like a month, twice a day. So
0: nice. Did you get stronger?
2: I did. Yeah, I was a a weak, you know, I I came from came from uh, CrossFit. So I started CrossFit in like 2013, realized pretty quickly that I liked the weightlifting side of it a lot more. But I was still, you know, a relatively uh, weak CrossFitter at that point and went to um, Westside. And I mean, he just helped drive up my squat big time, which helped, you know, bring up my classical lifts. So, and I think one one of the biggest things that was valuable for me, um, that I think it's lost in weightlifting a lot too, is just the variation. So like doing all these crazy exercises, like the reverse hyper, um, the inverse curl, I think that is a genius machine. Are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. It's the The Nordic, the Nordic hamstring curl machine. Basically. Mm -hmm. I think that is like his most valuable machine. Um, In terms of like
0: building hamstring strength. So, yeah, he's definitely clever with his like ideas because, you know, he sees the value in like that poor man's glute ham raise, which is making a comeback right now. Mm -hmm. But then also it's like he also realizes that he's a super heavyweight and he's just like, I'm not getting on a poor man's glute ham raise. How can I do this? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's a good machine. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, The amount of machines in that gym is wild. um, Yeah. Because they're just like packed in everywhere. But yeah, I really like that. Um, he had and he had us like trying out all these other machines that he had, uh, which was kind of neat. It just seems like a lot of fun just to be like, just to use your imagination and come up with all these different machines and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you, uh, yeah, you probably got some good information, good uh, good stuff about uh, you know how to get strong there. Um, and then after that, you kind of went into uh, and finished up PT school and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. Yep. Uh, spent the next few years, uh, going to PT school, graduated in, uh, 2020. Um, and then we moved down here to Nashville. My wife got a job down in Nashville. So we moved down. Um, I went into PT school knowing that I wanted to continue to work in a gym setting or like a, you know, strength training type setting. Um, yeah. Instead of like teaching old people how to walk. Yeah. yeah. Instead of your, <laughs> yeah. More, more traditional clinic. I mean, that's, I enjoyed that stuff too. I got those experiences. I got to work in the hospital and like, you know, a bunch of different settings in PT school. Uh, and I enjoyed them all, but I knew that that's what I was passionate about is, you know, specifically, um, like weightlifting and, and strength training and stuff. So I was, when, when I moved down here, uh, in 2020, I was looking at different clinical jobs and applying to different jobs and nothing was really, um, you know, super appealing to me, um, in terms of the jobs that were available and there weren't a ton at that time. Um, so it's pretty slim pickings. Uh, so I said, screw it, man. I, uh, eventually I want to work in a gym, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and start my own thing, um, and set up in a gym. And so that's what I did.
0: Nice. Yeah, man. I think uh I think that's the way to go, especially if you know like the target market that you're wanting to work with and you know, you know the people that are gonna bring you joy to work with. Absolutely. You know, I, think, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind rather than uh rather than just settling and taking the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for because- sure.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, what was the what is the biggest difference you see between like a clinical PT and a uh like a performance PT that works inside of an actual gym?
2: The biggest difference um, is insurance. Um, insurance is it's really the biggest hindrance when it comes to providing good care, right? Uh, there's things you want to do that you can't do with insurance. They're looking for certain things um, in order to reimburse you and pay you the money uh that that you know you deserve to get paid. Um, and there's restrictions on how long you can see patients and stuff like that. Um, and it is just such a nightmare and such a pain in the ass that, you know, these clinicians that do like cash-based PT that don't take insurance and like set up in the gym, they're so much more free and can provide such better care than the people that are, you know, restricted by the insurance model. And it's not their fault. The people that work in the clinics, it's just, that's the way the model works. Um, And so, yeah, in my perspective, like I said, when you move away from insurance and you move to cash pay or cash um, pay services, uh, it's the the level of care that you can provide is so much better.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see how that would be the case. Uh, I knew some friends who were chiropractors and it was a husband and wife chiropractor. And they, uh, they moved to a cash based model and they were like, their lives just got better. One, they didn't have to deal or hire somebody to just be like the person to call the mm-hmm. insurance, which was a pain. And then two is they felt like they could actually just do what they wanted, you yeah. know? So it, uh, it, yeah, it's crazy, but you know, the system gets there for a purpose and then when you're doing something else, it just doesn't quite fit into that same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of sucks in some situations because, you know, some athletes have insurance and they want to use it. But Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh so you do like strength and PT. And so you're working with weightlifters. So one of the questions that I have, so I do uh I coach and I um I'm a massage therapist. So I kind of work with a lot of just um odd little issues in weightlifting. And I was curious to see like what were some of the main issues that you see in weightlifters.
2: Yeah. um, Back pain. It's one of the biggest ones. Back pain is the most common. I mean, 80% of the general population is going to experience back pain at some point, right? And it looks different for different people. For some people, it's like debilitating, like they're on the couch for like a week and they can't stand up. Some people it's just, you know, like an achy back um, that sticks around for a few days and then gets better. Um, So that's a big one. Uh shoulders are obviously big, knees, uh some hip issues here and there. Those are those are mostly the big things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh hey George, do you ever have any back pain?
1: Yeah, actually I do sometimes. Um down on the left side by like the, the SI. Mm-hmm. Hans that yep. been going on for? Uh it's been off and on for mm, probably um almost two or three years. Just doing all the army requirements and then weightlifting as well. So like rucking in the morning and then going lifting at night and stuff like that. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, and then that's something that we've been uh, noticing too. Is in like your snatch catch, one hip's a little bit higher than the other, kind of leading in towards that. Um, So that's like, um, you know, maybe like the SI joint or something. But like some of the some of the big things there is that uh, you know weightlifting what I found is the split jerk is the exercise that kind of causes most of the imbalance in weightlifting. Um, so I, you know, I always think like the, there's almost, I mean, there's lots of different types of back pain, but kind of what George is saying, like on one side, like that SI joint, maybe twisting is probably caused by, you know, just the nature of the split jerk, always putting that one leg forward and kind of, um, you know, developing an imbalance. And, uh, for me as a coach i'm kind of on the i am the i am the minority by far where i teach people to do the split jerk on both legs to kind of help with that and we do Mm -hmm. both like we do a lot of alternating step to splits and stuff fairly heavy to kind of help balance out um that main issues with the split jerks um so i'd be curious to kind of see what uh if, have you ever experienced like a lot of that type of issue with you know seeing the the imbalance in the back from split jerks and kind of how uh you know you can't give a specific example because you don't have a specific person but like a maybe an in general answer of how you kind of go about that mhm so <laughs>
2: uh there's kind of a lot to that question i think first of all yeah it's like four questions <laughs> No, it's totally fine <laughs> um it's always hard to determine what the specific source of pain is, right? Like anytime you have pain, all we can do is speculate. Um, we can just make, um, you know, theories based on the information we have, but you can never say hundred percent, Oh, you're having pain. It's due to like this factor, right? Um, there's just no way to prove it. There's no way to rule out like every other possible option. Yep. Um, so that being the case, I I don't know that I have ever attributed pain, back pain specifically to the split jerk um, in like anyone that I've worked with. And the split jerk has never been, as far as I've experienced, something that really aggravates uh, or like increases people's pain when it comes to back pain. I mean, sometimes if they're like really overextending, you know, uh, and they kind of have that um, like super curved, Uh, back position, it may be aggravating, but in general, um, no, I would say that I, I haven't experienced a lot of people where that seems to be, where there seems to be a correlation there. Um, in general, I don't use a very biomechanical model. So the biomechanical model would be, would say that if you move a specific way, it's going to place load on certain structures. Um, more or less load on different structures, right, which could, over time, lead to pain, um, right? Like, if you, if you move this way versus this way, um, this way could potentially cause more pain, um, whereas this way may not, right? Uh, when you look at, like, the scientific literature, there's not a great relationship between biomechanics or the way people move, the technique they use, um, and pain so from from my perspective, I think that people move very differently based on a number of factors so like you know just just the way they're built, their like bony structure, uh, muscle makeup, like their experiences in the past, what type of sports they've played, stuff like that. Uh, all these like personal factors will play into how someone moves and to me, that won't necessarily lead to pain, right? There's, I don't, I don't go looking for, um, specific like movement sources of pain, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the same idea as, you know, you adapt to the stress that's being put on your body. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So then, you know, you got the, the overextending is kind of where you see a lot of the back pain. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so do you define the SI joint as part of the back, like when you're talking about back pain or yeah. Yeah. The the SI joints, that's one of those like
2: super controversial areas, uh, in like the clinical world. Cause some people say that it's like super important and it's the generator of pain in like a lot of instances and other people will say it's a fused joint, right? There's like hardly any like movement at it whatsoever. So how could it possibly be the source of pain? um, in anyone. Um, honestly, like, I don't really know where I fall. I mean, I've, I've seen people that have like what you'd call like true SI pain or the way, the way they present, it appears as, as if it's coming from like the SI joint. Um, but yeah, again, I don't, (laughs) um, I don't know that it really would change the way I treat someone if it is F SI versus back. Right. Um, the way, the way I approach treatment is more of a functional approach, right? So what are you struggling with? You know, what are your limitations? Let's try to get you better at those things, as opposed to me trying to figure out specifically what the structure and the sources of the pain, because like I said, that it, it doesn't really affect the way I'm going to treat the, treat my patient or my athlete. Does that make sense?
0: Um, not quite. So like, um, let me see if I can say it in my own words, see if it makes sense. So you got somebody with back pain and Mm -hmm. you're not going to, let's just say SI joint. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're having, so your approach is they're having SI joint pain when they do this, Mm -hmm. then your focus is like, figuring out how you can make that not hurt while doing that. And that's kind of the main approach.
2: Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's going to be totally, uh, totally dependent on the individual, right? The way they, they present to me. But my, my thing is that, like I said earlier, we, we never truly know what the source of the pain is. And we have all these fancy diagnostic tests that we're taught in PT school to figure out what the exact structure is and what's, you know, what's causing the pain. But to me, if someone has pain kind of in their back that runs down in that, you know, kind of glute area, sure. It could be the SI could be due to the, you know, lumbar spine too. You've got nerves, nerve roots that like run down that area, uh, that come from the lumbar spine. It could be a number of different things. Um, so to me, I don't get super worked up on exactly what the structure is. I try to figure out, all right, it hurts when you're squatting at the bottom of the squat, right? When you get a little bit of that posterior pelvic tilt you kind of go into a little bit of lumbar flexion at the bottom of the squat um so we say all right well maybe let's keep you out of the bottom of the squat for a while let's still try to load you by maybe doing some box squats um, or whatever variation we can do to keep you moving we'll give it some time to maybe calm down a little bit and we'll try to progress you back into the things that were previously aggravating does that make sense so it's kind of calm calm down allow the thing to calm down and then slowly build back up. It's kind of a general
0: rule. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a little more sense with me now. Um, yeah. So the, um, I think that's a valuable system to apply, you know, in general too, just mm-hmm. for a lot of different issues. Um, the, uh, sorry, I'm making my, getting my my situation set up over here a little bit. Uh, little technical difficulties, but we're good now. Um, yeah, so I know back pain is kind of like that huge, you know, it's kind of a, a lot of vague stuff kind of all in there with back pain. Um, but, uh, so you've got, uh, what else do you see kind of like as your main issue for, uh, for weightlifters? Uh, knee pain is kind of a big one. Um.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, I, have you guys had knee pain at any point? Anterior knee pain?
1: Uh, More so. It's like uh, tendonitis, but nothing too serious.
2: Yeah. Is it, yeah. so is it like just below the patella or the kneecap?
1: Yeah. Patella tendonitis. Yep.
2: Yep. yep. That tends to be the common one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that one's super common and that one's, I mean, I've, I've dealt with that personally. Um, and that one to me is a, uh, is a load management issue, right? So load is going to be the thing that aggravates it, right? If you're doing a lot of volume or maybe it's intensity that like sets you off and, uh, aggravates, it makes it worse. Um, so load can be the aggravating factor. Load is also the way that you cure it, right. Or the, the way that you treat it.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of weird. Cause like, even with my SI, when I'm having a little bit of pain and I'll do like the alternating step to split or something, just kind of balance it out. The pain will increase. And then mm-hmm. as I continue through, it'll like loosen up and it will go away. So it's kind of weird.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And you said you've been dealing with it for a long time.
1: Yeah, it will come and go. Like you'll have its days where I don't feel anything at all or like months where I don't feel anything at all. And then it will just come back randomly.
2: But it's been like years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So pain pain is really complex. And as it becomes chronic, so chronic in in the scientific literature is defined as, anything longer than three months. As pain becomes chronic, um, it starts to become, there's all these factors that play into it, right? There's psychological factors. Uh, your brain literally gets rewired. Pain becomes like, it becomes a habit basically. Um, and different areas of your brain are going to become more active. Uh, and it starts to get associated with all these like psychological, um, and, social factors. So if you look at back pain, they've done a ton of research on back pain. People that have dealt with chronic back pain or like long-term back pain, it it starts to become associated with uh, different variables such as, um, so like psychological variables such as um, people's emotions, um, their perception of the pain, things like that. Uh, It also becomes associated with things such as socioeconomic status, um, work situation, things like that, all these things start to play into pain and it becomes this big, like jumbled kind of mess, um, where it's not very clear cut, like what the exact cause of it is. So like the longer pain goes on, the more complex it becomes. Um, and the more you kind of have to address these individual, social, uh, and psychological factors.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting way to look at pain. Um, cause I can, th- I can think of a few situations where that would, you know, kind of come into play and, uh, you know, be an issue. Um, and in ways like, you know, stress just being stress. Um, I feel like I could go down a rabbit hole there, but I did have a question about <laughs> a question for you on a different topic. So we were we're going to go back to going back to knees is um, so you got knee pain. Mm -hmm. um, And back when I was training under Glenn, uh, back in the muscle driver days. um, If we had knee pain, it was like, Oh, you got knee pain. Maybe it'll go away. Keep training. So there was no (laughs) change. And uh, and then most of the time it would. And, uh, and then I would talk to other people like, uh, like uh, there was a, a guy that was uh training with uh, John Bros. And we were at a competition once and we we're sitting in the stands, and we were all just kind of sitting there doing all right, you know, um, watching the weightlifting. And he looks over at us and he's just like, How can you guys do this? Like, and we're like, Do what? And he's like, How can you like sit here and not be in pain? Like <laughs> sitting on these bleachers, and it's just like, this is just making my knees hurt sitting here, and it was just like man, that guy, cause that coach is, it was John Rose was his coach mm-hmm. was like, you know, ignore the pain. Cause it was like a, a Bulgarian coach was mm-hmm. his coach and they just max out through everything. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it was kind of interesting to see like the different levels of pain. Um, and so that would be an interesting topic coming from you. Cause one of the big things that I have trouble with with uh, PTs is, you know, you might get the PT that's, you know, working with grandmas, relearning how to walk after they break their hip or something. Um <laughs> and they're always like, oh, you gotta like stop doing this or go super light. And it's just like, ah, that's not reasonable for, you know, somebody that's athletic. How do you um kind of approach that balance between like discomfort, pain, and injury?
2: You want you want me to give you my experience on this because I've got a Great experience from a couple of weeks ago.
0: All right. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So
2: I, I was prepping for a meet. So I've had, I've dealt with kind of knee pain on and off for a while. It's exactly it's what you'd call patellar tendinopathy. It's like right on the front, just below the kneecap, likely due to the patella tendon. Um, kind of comes and goes. There was a meat I was prepping for about a month ago. And about two weeks out from the meet, I was doing some cleaning jerks at 150 came down on one it kind of crashed on me a little bit kind of drove my knees forwards uh more than it normally does so like you know quick stretch and load of that of that tendon uh finished the lift set it down and i had this searing pain in the front of my knee like bad bad pain um and i was like shit (laughs) like this is not good um, I was like, all right, I guess I'm moving on. I'll go do some like light jerks or something. Couldn't even do light jerks. Couldn't even like dip, um, at all because it hurts so bad. And I was like, well, I'll feel better tomorrow. I'll just go home and like rest and you know, it'll, it'll be fine. It was worse the next day. I was like limping downstairs, like serious, bad pain. And I was like, shit, <laughs> like, I guess I, I might not even do this meat. Um. And so I feel like a lot of people in that situation would be like, you know, kind of like scared or concerned, um, with my education and knowing like what I know about pain and kind of like, like I said, that weird relationship with like, um, chronic pain, I knew that I likely had done nothing damaging to tendon, muscle bone, anything like that. Right. It just probably got flared up for a number of reasons. Um, you know, wasn't sleeping super well, uh, dealing with some other life stresses and stuff, um, whatever it was. Um, I knew that I could still continue to safely load the tendon. So that's what I did. I would go in every day and I would do heavy pause squats, just work up to as heavy as I could and it hurt pretty bad, but it wasn't like excruciating. It was really that like fast, fast stretch. That was like the, the super aggravating movement, which is why I do the pause squats because I could at least get down to the bottom. And then drive up and it hurt but it wasn't bad so i do those every day go in do a heavy pause squat each day just kind of try to build and build and build each day got a little bit better a little bit better i was actually able to do the meet um and did pretty decently at it and then the following week after the meet i matched my maxes uh on my snatch and my clean so that's like a three week swing of like excruciating p- pain to being back to where I was like training a hundred percent basically. And my, my approach, like I said, was to load the tendon in a way, um, that wasn't excruciating because when you have, when you have those, uh, tendon related issues, if you push into that pain too far, you're just going to increase the sensitivity, right? Uh, of of your tissues, but if you don't load them at all, you decondition them, right? They're going to lose their strength. So you got to find that right amount of loading where you're continuing uh, to 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 put that stress through the through the tendon through the muscle, but you're not pushing so far into pain that you're just increasing the sensitivity uh, of everything. So that's that's that was my own personal experience, and that's also how. I, that's, those are the same principles that I apply to people that are dealing with similar types of things. Keep loading in a way that puts load through those specific tissues, but is not so aggravating that it's like getting worse, um, or increasing your pain.
0: Nice. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, yeah, that sounds like good advice to me. Um, yeah, it's interesting because it, a lot of people will get that you know, that knee, uh, that knee pain that, um, right there in the patellar tendon, just because, you know, the nature of weightlifting, it's, uh, it gets a little bit overused. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, George, you ever have any knee pain?
1: Um, since I've stopped running and rucking so much, my knees have been pretty good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's the real running's the, if you like, what is it like 80 or 90% of runners are like experience inner injury at any point
1: yeah so when i was active duty i was running anywhere between 15 to 25 miles a week some weeks and then i would go and train weightlifting at night so it was insane Jeez,
0: that's too much yeah yeah it's a lot of work his work capacity is up pretty high right now though so we're gonna take advantage of that oh um drop my mic all right um yeah because we uh we've got another guy on the team i'm not gonna say who it is to give out his uh, medical information and all that stuff, but he's dealing with some knee stuff mm-hmm. and, uh, he's working his way through and figuring out the best way to, uh, train around it. And, uh, I think this will be a good one for him to listen to. Um, yeah, I would, I would suggest, so you, you have to get creative,
2: right? So everyone's going to respond differently. Uh, my, my situation is not going to apply to everyone. You might, some people I have do like box squats. So I have them avoid the very bottom of the squat. Um, or, or whatever it is, right. You could, you could change your stance. You could, you have to play around and find a way to continue to put load, um, through the tissues without it being super aggravating. And a good test is to, uh, check 24 hours later, right? So the next day, so to kind of take a baseline measurement of where, where your pain's at, do whatever exercise it is check the next day, 24 hours later, see if it's significantly increased from where it was. If it is probably did too much or that variation is probably not a great idea. Um, might need to change it up. If it's at the same level or lower, then that's like a, you know, green light to go ahead with, with that.
0: Yeah. That's a good common sense approach. I think, uh, that's really like the quality that you see is, uh, in the best weightlifters are the ones that can do it for the longest amount of time so the longevity mm-hmm. and the ones that uh can train for the longest amount of time are the ones that you know know how to manage small issues to continue to train that consistency year after year yep and you know there's a difference between you know managing it and still getting strong and training hard and and um and then just being hard-headed and <laughs> pushing through too much Um, because, you know, sometimes you'll see that and you'll see people that uh, like the same example of the person that was working with John bros. Um, He's not in the sport anymore. I mean, he was like, I'm tired of this. Like I'm tired of having no money. I'm tired of my knees hurting all the time. Um, And he was good. I think he made a medal at, uh, I think he got a medal at Pan Ams one year. And uh, so he was good, but he just didn't stay in the sport any longer because he was just like, I'm over it. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of that psychological stuff. Uh, you're kind of managing all of those issues. Sure. Um, but then, you know, the one that I always like to use is, uh, the longevity, um, example is, um, Chad Vaughn. Cause he's just, you know, just stayed consistent year after year, kept training, you know, had issues, you know, he had, um, you know, this might be an argument against the, uh, You know, you're talking about people having each of their own individuality as far as their body and stuff. Uh, If you ever listen to his story, he had like a a club foot. And so like one -hmm. of his legs is significantly different than the other in a lower body dominant sport. You know, so he, uh, you know, he's pretty good at managing, uh, managing issues. And that uh, that led to that long career. Um, And I uh, it's it's good. It's a good reminder with all these like just the common sense approach. Um, cause everything that you're saying sounds, you know, pretty common sense, you know? Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't have to be complicated. That's what I tell people is
2: like, it's, it's hilarious. You go to school, right? I went to school for seven years to become like a doctor of physical therapy. Um, and, and so people like people do that and they feel like it has to be complicated, right? There has to be this like, like crazy complicated approach, uh, to things. And it doesn't, it, it can, and I think it should be really simple, um, meat and potatoes, like, you know, stick to the basics, do those well. Um, so yeah, that's
0: my approach. Nice. Yeah, man. That, uh, that sounds like good stuff.
1: Yeah. I see that you're big on, uh, like mental training and mental techniques as well. What's your, uh, what's your favorite one? Favorite one, what? Like your favorite mental, like, I guess, uh, mental technique that you would teach someone who was struggling like with pain or something like that?
2: Uh, optimism is big. Um, so like I talked about the way you perceive your pain is going to have a, an effect on pain, um, is going to have an effect on the outcome. Uh, so people that there, there's been studies that show that people that have that optimistic approach, um, are going to have better outcomes than people that are have more of the pessimistic approach or like uh catastrophizing, right? They're like, oh my God, like something's broken, like I totally screwed myself up. Um, so just telling people that the body is resilient, the body is very resilient, very adaptable, more adaptable than I think we give it credit for, and that it's really good at healing itself. Um, and so just having confidence and like optimism that if you're dealing with something like the body's going to be able to figure it out, um, and just, tr- you know, trust in its ability, we can give it tools to kind of help, um, you know, allow that, allow that to happen, uh, optim- optimally. But again, just having optimism that, you know, the body will figure it out.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think that. uh, Yeah, I can't think of any huge examples, but uh, you know, I've seen a few people where they just bury themselves into it. Like if you see it in the sport of weightlifting, you, it's just like somebody's too far into, uh, you know, too far into that, and then it's losing motivation to train, and then you're mm-hmm. kind of running into, you know, not being able to train consistently, and uh, and that's how you get strong is you train consistently. Yep. Yeah. So optimism. Um, so that's, you know, it sounds like you've kind of got a an interesting, uh, you know, we, we've touched on a few specifics, you know, kind of like, you know, mental training, um, you know, physical therapy and strength. It sounds like you're kind of like a, you've got a whole system kind of worked out with your gym. So how does it, uh, just to get an example of your system, like, um, let's say you get a weightlifter comes in um and and they want to be good at weightlifting kind of what would be your general like you don't have to get too complex with this but like the first three months of training what would that look like you don't have to go down to like exercises it could just be like you know the Mm -hmm. first month is technique second month is i don't know just to get an idea of how you kind of incorporate all of these different uh yeah yeah does that make sense what i'm saying yeah absolutely yeah
2: so everyone I bring on, we sit down, uh, and have like an initial onboarding call. Uh, I'll use that to go through any past injuries, um, or anything they're dealing with. Um, and then based on that, I'll be able to kind of customize their plan, um, around like any issues that they've had. Um, and then I, uh, like to sit down and have them write out specific goals, right? I feel like that's actually something that's not really big, um, in like athletics in general specifically in weightlifting, like people with like hard defined goals and like timelines for those goals, uh, and plans to be able to get to those goals. Right. So regardless of what level the person is at, when they come in, I say, Hey, let's define like specific goals for where you want to be, uh, what that looks like. And then we'll reverse engineer a plan to get you there based on, you know, where, where you want to be. Um, and so, what that's going to involve is uh, me creating a uh, you know individualized uh, plan for them, and then I also provide them with um, different strategies and, and, and resources to address more the uh, mindset side of things as well. So, I, I really like uh, visualization training. I think that's uh, key, um, and then other different uh, exercises such as like journaling. Um, so setting like daily goals and stuff like that. Um, and then there's other like small things I talked about that I, um, kind of touched on such as like to go along with the optimism type thing. Um, I like to talk to my athletes about, um, you know, like having daily wins and like internalizing success and externalizing failure. Um, because a lot of people, are kind of have that perfectionist attitude and they can get really down on themselves and like really dwell on the like negative side of training. Um, and you get in this really like bad negative mindset and it's like, if you focus more on the things that are going well, even if it's not, it doesn't seem like a lot, it just helps you keep it helps to keep you in a better, uh, mind space in terms of move, moving forward with training.
0: Yeah. I always thought that was one of the biggest benefits of, you know, Louis Simmons's program. Cause you get PRs and so many things yeah. so often. Yep. Um, and that's Glenn actually incorporated that a lot too, you know, a, a PR in some random complex is a PR, you know, a win is a win. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. So
2: I'm curious, uh, with Glenn, since you trained with him, uh, individually. So he, he, from what I understand, wasn't huge on like developing technique, right? It was more of like get under heavy loads and like your body will figure it out type of thing. Am I mistaken in that? Or was that? kind of the approach.
0: Mm. Uh, my, when I started working with Glenn, my technique improved significantly. Um, so, so
2: yeah, I guess what I'm saying is he, it wasn't like, I don't know. So there's, there's like the whole school of like, you know, you need to like hammer technique at like light weights um, before you're able to like lift the heavier weights versus like getting under heavier loads and like, having your body develop technique under those, under the heavier loads.
0: Yeah. So, uh, the way Glenn would do things, it would be, um, he would address technique through exercise selection. And he was also a big believer in going hard and going heavy because you just have to be strong. So like if there was an issue with like staying over the bar, you know, he might do, uh, you know, exercises that force you to stay over the bar, you know, maybe even like a pause snatch at the knee or something. Um, but we would go heavy on them, mm-hmm. you know? So there was never like, it wasn't like light. It was always go, go, go work hard. It wasn't like, uh, you know, so he would approach technique in that way. Um, and he would definitely provide technique uh, like cues and corrections. Um, not as much as Don McCauley. Um mm-hmm. And Don McCauley's program might fit that traditional like Mike Bergner style program. Right. Where it's like, you know, reps, it's lighter percentages and then kind of building up, which is almost like the Russian style program too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So Glenn was definitely focused more on heavy stuff, but uh, to say that he wasn't focused on technique wouldn't be accurate.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I, I don't think I phrased that correctly. I, so I am also a big fan of that style of using specific exercises to develop technique, but heavily loaded, right? Because it's a different, it's a different, uh, it's, you're going to have a different activation profile in terms of like the muscles that are firing at different times with 70% versus like 90%, right? They're just different movements. If you look at like the motor program. So in my opinion, you need to be like touching those heavier weights often. And I like that. It sounds like he was developing technique more through heavier exercises specifically designed, um, to, to have you develop the technical aspects that he wanted to. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, yeah, he had an interesting perspective and he was very, uh, very much focused on what worked Uh, Mm -hmm. and so he would bring in people with you know the technique like that's why he brought in don mccauley because Mm -hmm. don had a different approach with technique um and then i would say i'd made some technique changes once i worked with don a little bit too as well but uh the um the biggest thing that i noticed with glenn's program is that he didn't uh he didn't have a lot of uh good split jerkers you know he tended to have really good snatchers and really good uh pretty pretty good cleaners on his program um, but there was never really anybody that was really good at the split jerk except uh one kid named caleb ward um and you have to go way back into weightlifting history to get into to caleb ward but he was a pretty good uh, weightlifter he was a uh, junior american record holder with a 202 kilo clean and jerk and, um, and he had a phenomenal jerk, but I think that comes into his personality because he was very, um, technique, uh, focused in his training. He was very critical of his technique with a lot of focus and his proportions. He just looked like a good jerker, um, you know, kind of a barrel chest, nice dip and drive. Um, but yeah, it, you know, again, he used to always say, well, you got to get strong, you know? mm mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a there's definitely a point to that. What uh what do you think makes a good jerker? Hmm. (laughs) What I have found with the jerk is uh I, I think it's the most technique and position uh dependent. Uh what Glenn would do um would he would put it at the end of the workout because it would always be after the clean and jerk because he liked the idea of you know snatch and clean and jerk, you know, done in the competition format. Um, and so everyone would be worn out by the time they got to jerk. And so it didn't get as much, you know, um, it didn't get the, the front end of, uh, the athletes of attention. Hmm. Um, and I, I think that's probably what hindered it. Um, but then I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, technique, uh, and proportion type stuff that makes a different jerk or somebody good at a jerk. Um, but, uh, that, is a pretty in-depth question too. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, just with fewer words than my first question to you. Um, but actually I have to, uh, I've got to go pick up my son from school. So I actually have to cut this a little bit short. Um, uh, the one other thing that I was thinking that was going to be interesting is you were talking about goals. Uh, me and George actually had planned for our next podcast to be talking about goals. So, uh, that's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, a tease for next week if you guys want to listen into next week's podcast. Um, but again, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I think we got a lot of good information. Um, sorry to, uh, to cut that a little bit short, but you know, it is what it is today. Yeah. Um, thanks for having cool. me, man. It's, it's been a blast. Yeah. So where can, uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out
2: to you? Uh, I need to update my website. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say Instagram is where, um, I'm, I'm most present. So if you follow me on Instagram, uh, you can always DM me on there. Um,
0: and yeah. Awesome. And George.
1: Yep. You can find me at, uh, George 81 KG on Instagram or the house away lifting page as well. And thanks for coming on Andrew. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, Uh, one last uh, announcement we might be doing a live stream of the weightlifting meet this weekend if you want to check that out it might be on facebook weightlifting starts at 10 a.m eastern time uh and that's when the little kids are starting so there's going to be some uh like my daughter's going to be doing it at seven and um and then we'll kind of go all the way out throughout the day doing weightlifting sessions so tune into that if you want to watch some some live stream local weightlifting competitions and um yeah, and then again next week for uh, goal setting. Nice. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. Thanks, guys.